let's kind of kick off what we're going to do here uh, this evening. We've been, this series, this season, walking through something we called Go Tell It on the Mountain. And that song has some deep-rooted Tennessee history. I don't know if you knew that. Um, but uh, the story goes, most scholars believe that um, African slaves sang this on the plantations, um, this Go Tell It on the Mountain. And although this, this song is somewhat of a reminder of a, of a time where there were stains on the human history, and we would rather forget that, right? Uh, but the, the words of the song are too beautiful to ignore. We just sang this song, Go Tell It on the Mountain, Go tell it on the mountain that Jesus Christ is born. This is why we are here tonight. This is why we're here today. It is because Jesus Christ was born. Christmas has no biblical meaning whatsoever without Jesus Christ being born. And that's what we're going to talk about tonight as we look at Uh, the greatest story that the world has ever known in, of course, Luke 2, 1 through 20. There's no better place to really marvel and reflect on this. So we're gonna look at this and I'm gonna ask you uh, to stand for the reading of God's word. And let's do this together, and this is in Luke. This will be up on the screens as well, so let's read this together. Luke 2, 1 through 20. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius, the governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. While they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. They were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David, the Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. When they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told concerning the child. 
And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. This is the word of the Lord. Let me pray for us. Father, we are anxiously awaiting, Father, for the return of your son, Jesus Christ. But for now, we remember his first coming. So Lord, as I stand up here today before your people, I gladly stand behind Christ so that he may be seen and heard by all people. Open up our eyes, fill our minds with the knowledge of your son and fill our hearts with affections for your son. In Jesus' precious name, amen. All right, you guys can have a seat. Notice that Luke does not start out the Christmas story with "'Twas the night before Christmas." It doesn't talk about North Pole or Narnia. It's because Luke isn't writing poetry. Luke is writing history. Luke is writing about a real time, a real day. He's writing about real places like Bethlehem, Judea, Jerusalem. He's, He's writing about these cities that that are real, real cities. He's writing about real people. Real people like Caesar Augustus was king. Quirinius was a governor. Joseph was a poor carpenter. Mary was a peasant girl. He's writing about real people in real places in a real time when God came to the earth through the miraculous birth of a virgin. I read this quote. I've been holding on to this one in regards to the miraculous birth of a virgin. Glenn Scrivener said this, Christians believe in the virgin birth of Jesus. Atheists believe in the virgin birth of the universe. Choose your miracle. This story is incredible. It is the greatest story ever told. We've been looking at this in our series and it just gets better and better the more we read this story. We've heard this story before, but the more you read it, the better it gets. It's kind of like watching Elf or Christmas Vacation, right? The more you watch it, the more you, you, it just gets deeper and funnier and you just see all these things. And this is what the story is like to us. It just gets better and gets better. And there's so many things that we have studied and looked at in this story. There are so many things that we just read that we could marvel over for days. Over 300 prophecies fulfilled in the birth of Christ. We have miracles happening. Uh, uh, an, an angel, a biblically terrifying angel exploding in the sky. You have God sovereignly turning the mind and the heart of a king 
to prompt him to do a census so he could get Joseph and Mary from here to there, to Bethlehem, where he would need to be born because he was the house of the lineage of David. All of these things are just, they're perfectly taking place. As I said, the angel happens, a light so bright in the sky, the light that shines around God, the glory of God illuminates a dark night. There's so many things that we could just park on for days and days and days in this story, but there's one verse that is at the heart of all of this. And if you take out the one verse, it does not work. And it is verse 11. It is the announcement of the angel. Look at verse 11 with me. This is the key to all of this. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a savior who is Christ the Lord. You take out verse 11 and none of this makes a difference. None of this makes sense and it just doesn't work. It's as if, if I went over here and took out the master bulb of this Christmas tree, all would go dark. Verse 11 is like the master bulb on your Christmas tree. You remove it, the whole Christmas story goes dark. I want you to see two things about that verse we've just Saw the first thing I want you to see is Luke said that the angel told the shepherds, Unto you is what he said. This is a birth announcement that's not an impersonal, informative birth announcement. This is a very, very personal birth announcement about this baby. It says, For unto you. This, this, this announcement is going to be good news for all people on the face of the earth. So no matter who you are here tonight or today, no matter where you have been and what you have done in your life, this news is unto you. This is a very personal message from the same angel who spoke to the shepherds is speaking to you tonight. For unto you, this good news is coming. But the second thing, the main thing we're going to look at tonight is what they said about this baby. What they said about this baby. Three things about this baby. This baby was born to save you. This baby was born to die for you. And this baby was born to reign over you. Those three things are what we're going to look at tonight. The first thing, this baby was born to save you. Luke said that the, the angel announced that unto you born this day is a savior. He was telling the shepherds this gift from God in the person of Jesus was their greatest need. Now, let me see if I can help. Tomorrow morning, if you have young children, and I remember this because when my children were young, this is kind of probably what it's gonna be like. Your children probably gonna wake up around 5 a.m. tomorrow. 
All right, they're gonna be creepily standing over you while you sleep in the bed. And there's kind of like a little just whispering, when are you gonna wake up? And there's can't wait to go look at all the presents that they wanted. They have a pretty big want list, right? Kids, you, you understand, you have a pretty big thing, a list of things you want for Christmas. And so you'll get up tomorrow and you're probably going to get some of those things that you want. You probably will. But chances are you're probably gonna get some things you didn't want. They're gonna be things that you need, but you didn't want them like socks, sweaters, and coats, right? Which, you know, right now, pretty good idea to get those things, right? But no kid is getting pumped tomorrow because they're getting a sweater and some socks. You know what I mean? Like that's not what they want, but it is what they need. And that's what that's, that's the important part of a parent, by the way, is getting your children not necessarily what they want all the time, but getting them what they need. And that is exactly what is happening here in this angelic announcement. God, our great father, in giving us the gift of his son, is not giving us what we want, he's giving us what we need. In fact, he's giving us our greatest need. Everybody here in this room has the same greatest need. You see, the reality is, is every single person in here tonight has all sinned against the holy God. Every single one of us are sinners who sin. We rebel against God. We do not love God as we ought to. We don't love him with our heart, mind, and soul. We hurt people. We don't forgive people when they hurt us. We're jealous. We covet what other people have. We have other idols. Our hearts are idol factories. We're constantly producing things that aren't God to satisfy us. We're all sinners. And there's nothing under the tree tomorrow morning that's going to fix that. We don't need a profession. We don't need possessions and we don't need people. Those things are not our greatest need. Everybody in the room, hear me. Our greatest need is we need a savior. We need a savior. This is the most important thing you could ever have. You and me and our greatest need is a savior, and that is the good news that the angel is announcing to you and to me tonight because in this baby born was a baby born to save. There is no other savior on the earth. You do not need life coaching. You don't need the dream house, the dream spouse, the dream life. That's not what you ultimately need. What you and I need is a, is a savior, and this baby was born to save. The second thing that we see in this angelic announcement is that this baby was born to die. He was born to die. When the angel announced that this child was going to be a savior who is Christ, Christ is not Jesus's second name. It's not his middle name, it's not his last name. Christ is a title that means anointed one or the set apart one. You see, from the moment that the serpent entered into the garden and sin entered into the world, God made an announcement in that very moment that he would one day 
set apart one and send one who would crush the enemy, crush his head, but he would bruise his heel. And so in this angelic announcement, God is saying, here he's coming. The promised one, the anointed one, the Christ has come and he has come to die. You see, his death is what was a necessary thing in order to crush the serpent's head. God as a divine being could not die for sinners, but if he became a man with flesh and bones, he could go to a cross. So Jesus, the God-man, comes. He grows out of that little bitty manger. He didn't stay swaddling cloths his whole life, although we like to keep him in the manger in our Christmas nativity scenes. He grew up. He lived a perfect life so that he would be a suitable sacrifice when he went to the cross. Jesus died for you and me. This baby was born to die. This baby was born to die so that he could absorb the wrath of God on our sin. This baby was born to die that he might destroy the works of the devil. You see, death was our greatest enemy. Christ dies and then is resurrected on the third day, defeating death. So he disarmed the devil. Jesus was born to die, to deliver those who were afraid of death, who were under lifelong slavery and afraid to die. You know what I'm talking about? You know how you're afraid to die? Jesus died so that you could be delivered from the fear of death. This baby was born to save you, but this baby was also born to die for you so that you might have life. The last thing we're gonna see about this baby is that he was born to reign. Jesus was born to reign, born to save you, born to die for you, and born to reign over you. Notice in verse 11, this baby was none other than Christ the Lord. Luke's recording the angelic announcement saying, this is in fact God himself in the flesh, Emmanuel. This is the Lord right here that is being born on this day. The omnipotent, unbreakable one stepped into his own creation and became very unbreakable. If you think about that, that just a moment, using our, our sanctified imaginations, what it would be like to have God in the manger right there before Joseph and Mary and those who were watching. For the first time, Ever, earth looked down upon heaven. The one who was being held in the manger was holding the world together. This is, this is mind-boggling stuff here. We could talk about this for days. The fact that God would put on flesh and bones and come to people who were so far off. And again, in our nativity scene, we, we like to keep Jesus in the manger. 
But Jesus would grow out of that manger. He would shed the swaddling cloths because he was also on the throne. Jesus was a king and kings reign, right? Don't, don't kings reign? That's what they do, kings reign. And so this Jesus was born to reign over everything in the entire universe, heavens and the earth, over Satan, over death, over disease. He reigns. He reigns over politics and, and politicians today. Jesus reigns. Jesus reigns over us. He reigns over us. This is what he came to do, by the way. He didn't just come to save us from going to hell later and we could live however we want to now. No, he came to reign over us. I think that one of the reasons why that's a hard thing to swallow, it's one of the reasons why we love democracy in our country. The reason we love democracy so much in this country and we don't want to be reigned over is because of fallen people, fallen kings. History is full of flawed kings and and broken crowns. We would never want to put trust and follow any king on the earth because they're all imperfect and they're all wicked, right? So we want democracy. Jesus is the perfect king. He is worthy of reigning. He is incorruptible. He is perfect and he wants, desires, and requires us to submit to his reign over our lives. And the reality is, if you reject Jesus reigning over your life, you reject Jesus himself. I'm gonna say that again. Some people want the yes, save me. Yes, die for me. But don't reign over me, Jesus. I got this. If that's how you see Jesus, you don't have Jesus. You don't see him properly. You see him as a killjoy, a fun sponge king who just wants to take your life from you. That's not the king that Jesus is. He's the king that gives joy, that gives life. He's for you, for your good, to protect you, to love you. This is the king that Jesus is because he was born to reign. Jesus was born to save you. He was born to die for you and me and he was born to reign over you and me. And now do you see why the angel said, this is good news of great joy that will be for all people on the earth. Now listen, before we leave, I do not presume that every person who comes to a Christmas Eve service at a church in our country has embraced the good news. I don't presume upon that. So, so I wanna make sure one more time that you've heard the beautiful, good, old gospel of why Jesus Christ had to come. You and I were born under a curse 
Sin is the cause, and Christ is the cure. He was born to save you, born to die for you, and born to reign over you. He's all that we ever, ever need. And I hope that you know that for certain this Christmas, that you wouldn't go through another Christmas without knowing for sure where you stand with the holy living God in relation to Jesus Christ. If you're someone who would like to talk to somebody about that tonight after service, stick around. We've got some things in the lobby that are gonna be happening and coffee and snacks and stuff like that. We would love to be able to talk with you about that. For those who have embraced all of Christ, a savior, the Christ, Lord over our life, for those We are going to come together and we are going to celebrate that through communion. All right, we're gonna celebrate that through communion. And so how we're gonna do that in just a minute, we've got a few deacons that are gonna move. We're gonna pass these and um, and they're gonna take where you sit. I'm gonna give you some space, but before we do that, um, I I want us to make sure we understand what we're doing. It's easy for us to come to uh, services and organizations and things like that and kind of go through this mechanical Lord's Supper thing. And we wanna make sure that we don't do that here. And, and the way that we do this properly is by acknowledging that the Lord's Supper is a serious thing, but it's also a celebratory thing. You can't have one without the other. It's a serious thing and it's a celebratory thing. It's a serious thing because Paul said it was serious. It's a time to reflect on the worst event in human history, but the greatest gift came from it. It's about reflecting on what Christ did because of his great love for sinners like you and me. It's about his body broken and his blood shed for all of those things. And so we're gonna, we're gonna feel the seriousness of that by doing a couple of things. By pondering, remembering, confessing, maybe just coming to the Lord in a very humble posture this morning. So I'm going to give you a moment to do that. The other reason it's a serious thing is because the Lord said that if you have not given your life to Christ and embraced all of who Christ is, Savior and Lord, he says, you don't want to do this. He says, this is not a play thing. So this is a serious thing. So if you've not done that, This is not a meal for you quite yet. And so children in the room, parents in the room, listen, I know it's a tempting thing. The thing passes in front of you and it's kids grabbing, stuff like that. Listen, a great chance for you to teach them something about Christ and his lordship and what that truly means before they just kind of take it. So I wanna give you a moment to do that and then we're gonna come back up in just a moment and we'll all take together, all right? So you guys can go ahead and start passing And uh, man, you can go ahead and begin to pray where you seat or where you're seated at. And uh, we'll we'll do that. Let me me pray for us in our reflection time while they pass this around. Um, Let me do that. Father, we, Father, we, we acknowledge God, what you have done and what you came to do. Father, help this time of the Lord's Supper that we come to your table be a thing that is pleasing to you that we would properly see the seriousness of it and also the celebratory aspect of it. Do the work in us individually, Father, for your glory in Jesus' name.
As I said, the Lord's Supper is not just a serious thing, but it is a celebratory thing. When the Lord served the, um, the bread and the cup at the Last Supper, he wasn't throwing a, a pity party for himself for all that he would lose and suffer. He was setting the table for all of the things that we would gain forever and ever. Salvation, life, and a king to reign over us. So as we do this and we get ready to take this, let us remember this is not a eulogy. This is a toast. This is a toast and celebratory fashion for what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for us. First, the bread. Jesus said, this is my body that has been broken for you. Take and eat. Then he took the cup. So this is the blood, the new covenant for the forgiveness of sins. Take and drink. Church, tomorrow, and probably tonight, you're going to enjoy a lot of food and drink that's good for the body. But that right there, that food and drink is good for the soul. And it is only an appetizer. And we'll keep drinking and eating and until the one day that we get to eat and dwell in the great banquet in heaven. Uh, before we leave, let me just uh, say one last thing to you. I, I, think, I think this is my ninth Christmas. And uh, I, just, I just want you to know that I, I truly would not want to be anywhere else with any other people on the face of the earth but to be here with you. I, I adore you. My family adores you. We cherish you. We're so thankful and humbled that we get to do ministry with so many of you. If you're not a member of a church or you don't have a church, we're so welcoming to you. We're ready to receive you. But I am so thankful for you and how you love me and my family well. You have my heart. You truly do have my heart. So I love you. And uh, before we send out, let's, uh, let's light uh, the candle in our silent night kind of thing that we do here. And so we do this. I need a candle, I think. I don't think I have one up here. Maybe I need to grab one. Oh, thank you, Kim. You remember earlier, we talked about how Christ was the light of the world. Christ... When he invades the believer's heart, he puts that same light inside of us. And he calls us the light of the world, the city on a hill that cannot be hidden. So as I ignite this flame, this represents, and it spreads to all of you, that you also, like Christ, become light of the world. And we'll do this. Until one day when the Lord Jesus comes back and the light of Jesus Christ will cover the earth like the waters cover the world. It'll be everywhere. Never again dark, only light in Christ. So 
Love you guys. Let's light, let's stand, and let's sing Silent Night.